Stay inspired on the go with Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast from internationally acclaimed executive coaches, authors and ministers, Albert and Comfort Okran. You will be inspired and challenged with strategies to consistently reach for new heights. And now, today's message by Reverend Albert Okran. We've been studying secrets of world changes in the scriptures in our quest to influence our world for Christ. We've met Apostle Paul who turned the whole world upside down. Joseph whom Pharaoh renamed Zafnatpania or the savior of the world and John the Baptist whom Jesus himself described as the greatest man born of a woman. All three were great world changes in their time. And the purpose of this series is to help you see yourself as a world changer and to influence your society through Christ. Amen. Today we conclude with the greatest world changer of all time. The one who was there before creation. The one in whom all things consist and without whom was nothing made that was made. We look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. The title of my message is, As He Is, So Am I. As He Is, So Am I. I'll start from Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 to verses 11 as our foundational scripture. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. As he is, so am I. Philippians 2, 5 to 11 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a born servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God bless his word. Amen. Amen. There is one fundamental truth that separates Jesus from all other world changes. The impact of every other achiever is measured within the context of a definite lifetime. We know that John the Baptist lived to be a little over 30 and he died. Joseph lived for 110 years 
And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 22, it is recorded that he died. Apostle Paul lived and he died. But Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and today he lives forevermore. Hallelujah. And so today, Jesus is still changing the world from his position in glory, seated at the right hand of God from where he reigns and rules. The Bible says at the mention of his name, every knee bows and every tongue confesses. How does he do that? Jesus guaranteed his continuous impact by investing his life in people who would continue the ministry. Looking at Jesus, you find him variously investing in the three, the twelve, the seventy at a different time. There was even the one twenty. Then there was the multitudes. Some will count five thousand and others will say the multitude. But very importantly, today our lives, you and I, are an extension of the ministry of Jesus. And so when we say, as he is, so are we in this world, we are saying that Jesus' impact as a world changer is measured not in past tense, but in present tense. Hallelujah. So Philippians challenges us to have the same mind as Christ. What was the Jesus mindset? The Jesus orientation? The Jesus philosophy? What about him did Philippians want us to note? We see four distinctive pillars in the life of Christ that will form the anchors or the pillars around which today's message will revolve. We see a clear sense of purpose. We see his pursuit of that purpose. We see Jesus paying the price. And ultimately, we see him attaining the prize. And so the four anchor bolts are purpose, pursuit, price, and prize. And those will be the subjects of our discussion today. Let's start with the purpose and say that purpose is powerful. Purpose is a driving force. Abraham was called with the purpose to leave his father's house and start a new nation. Joseph's purpose was to go ahead of a nation and ahead of a people to a strange land, save that nation and save the world. Moses was called to bring to a close for 30 years of slavery and, if you will say, exile. John the Baptist had a simple purpose, prepare the grounds for the Messiah. Paul was called to extend the boundaries of the gospel to the Gentiles and to places that the gospel had not reached in the then world. Esther was called to save the Jewish people from destruction. Each of these people had a purpose in God's scheme for humanity. Jesus was born that he may die. 
there was no other route to his glory than his death. And his death was meant to destroy Satan's hold and set us free. In the book of 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, he clearly defines the purpose for his birth or his manifestation. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, this cause, this reason, this agenda, this mission, this goal, this assignment, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. The Bible categorically tells us why Jesus was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now let's look at Jesus' mission statement. Every significant organization, business, company has a statement of their mission and it often revolves around four things who they are who they serve how they serve them and what are their values and a mission statement is what distinguishes one company from another even if they are in the same industry that is what makes you know the difference between Toyota and Honda the company has a mission that says we are different from every other mission or every other company in the way we conduct our business. Individuals also have mission statements. And the closest we can get to the mission statement of Jesus is captured in Luke chapter 4. He himself telling us his mission, who he was, who he was sent to serve, how he would serve them, and the pillars or the principles that govern his ministry. In Luke 4, 18 and 19, Jesus speaking says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. When he finished recounting that scripture, he closed the book and sat down and said, this scripture is fulfilled in your eyes. Jesus defined who he was sent to serve the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. Very importantly, he said he was sent to destroy every work of the enemy. And so if Jesus is in your life and Jesus is in my life, then we know that the works of the enemy can never prevail. Hallelujah. Because that is expressly why he was sent to destroy the works of the enemy. Now, beyond the power of purpose, there is also the positioning of your purpose. 
Because you can know the purpose and the power that backs it. But the expression of that purpose can be a challenge. How do you position yourself in the face of arguments against your identity? Whoever God says you are, people will contest it. People will challenge it. When you come up and declare your purpose, people will try and refute or doubt that purpose. Expect your mission and your identity to be questioned. In Jesus' time, all throughout his life, his identity was questioned. Who is this? And robustly and without apology, Jesus consistently responded with authoritative statements beginning with I am. Anytime Jesus said I am, he was positioning himself in a particular way in the minds of people. And the world doesn't like I am. The world system gets uncomfortable when you say I am. And Jesus knew it. And so he made it a practice to say I am several times. In the book of John, we see seven different I am's, each of which attracted a particular response. In John 6, 35, Jesus described himself as the bread of life. I am the bread of life. In John 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. In John 10, 10 verse 7, he said, I am the door of the sheep. In verse 11 of John chapter 10, he describes himself as the good shepherd. In John eleven twenty five, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that was particularly problematic for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection. In John 14 verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the final one, in John 15, verse 5, he describes himself as the vine and we as the branches. Each of these descriptions used vivid images to paint a picture in the minds of people. And every one of them brought an offense. The people couldn't handle who he said he was. But even more, they couldn't handle the fact that he was saying it himself. You know, there are people who get uncomfortable when you say, I am blessed. And the discomfort is twofold. One, how can you be blessed? And two, how can you say it yourself? That is the problem. Twofold problem. One, that you are blessed. And two, that you are saying it yourself. And so, especially when he described himself as the light of the world, the Pharisees had had enough. So in John chapter 8, verse 13 and verse 14, they reacted. In John chapter 8, verse 13, the Pharisees felt, you can't say these things about yourself. It says, the Pharisees therefore said to him, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Verse 14. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from 
and I know where I am going, but you, you do not know where I came from and where I am going. As he is, so are you. Hallelujah. Whenever you rise up and declare who God has made you, and people contest it for the reason that you are bearing witness of yourself, tell them, you don't know where I came from, and you don't know where I'm going. Friends, God brought us from somewhere. He picked us from somewhere and made us nobodies. And we know he is taking us somewhere. Hallelujah. And so if God says you are, you can boldly say, I am. Tell somebody, I am. Tell the next person, I am. The world may argue, but hold fast unto God's word. Have your own convictions about who God has made you and hold on to them even if nobody else sees you that way. The way God sees you is more important than the way men see you. So tell yourself, I am who God says I am. I am saved. I am blessed beyond measure. I am the redeemed of the Lord. I know who I am. I am walking in power. I am walking in miracles. I live a life of favor. I know who I am. Put your hands together for the Lord. I know. I know who I am. Beyond the purpose, the second pillar is the pursuit. To pursue is to run after something. It is not enough to know your God-given purpose the second pillar is to pursue the purpose that God has given to you. And in pursuing the purpose, two clear things stood out in the ministry of Jesus, the preparation and the purity of the pursuit. Preparation involves apprenticeship and submission. Jesus invested 30 years of preparation for a little over three years of ministry. 30 years of preparation for three years of ministry. Going back to his very foundations, we see a balanced, holistic growth and development. Why do I say that? At age 12, he found himself in the temple debating the religious leaders. And the temptation when you get an experience like that is to suddenly feel that you have arrived. And Bible says that when his parents came to meet him, speaking to the religious leaders, after that, the question will be, what next? But in Luke 2, 51 and 52, we see an important response of Jesus. Refusing to be prematurely exalted at age 12. Bible says in verse 51 that he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to his parents. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Hallelujah. In the pursuit of your purpose, early success must not cause you to lose your focus. 
early progress in your mission must not derail the original mission. Bible says at age 12, they marveled at the wisdom with which he spoke. But he went home and submitted himself to the authority in his life and continued to grow and continued to develop. That was a mark of a person who understood preparation. His spiritual preparation gives us an even more interesting concept. Because after 30 years of preparation, the Bible says when he was about to be outdoored, he spent 40 days and 40 nights in prayer. Jesus understood that private preparation guarantees public victory. Many people want to swap it the other way around. They want public preparation. You can't prepare in public. For every wonderful thing you see from the Olympic Games to a musical concert to a speech that you will hear and say wow or to a sermon or to anything that you will think about the preparation is private the preparation is secret the preparation is often repetitive and boring when you are preparing for something you can do it over and over and over and ask yourself why because there is always a temptation to compromise but Jesus invested his life preparing for who he was supposed to become. For every one of us who God has called to do something, preparation is what will define your greatness. The Bible says that several times, a great while before day, he was alone in prayer. Tell somebody next to you, private preparation. It is the key to your public success. Spend time preparing yourself in private. The Lord Jesus understood the law of the iceberg. In management, there's something they call the law of the iceberg. It simply says that for every iceberg you see, 90% of the iceberg is under the water. It's only 10% that is seen above the water. And that is how come if you watch the film Titanic... What looked like a little rock brought down what was supposed to be the greatest ship built by men. The truth is the strength of that rock was under the water and not above. May you build capacity underneath. May people see you and take it for granted that all they see is all there is. And find out to their surprise or amazement that there are several layers beneath in your life in your prayer life in your ministry in your work with God in your business in whatever you do build capacity underneath walk around with people thinking that is all that you have and all that you are and let them find out that you have built much more capacity underneath that is what will rise up in your day of trouble that is what will rise up in your day of adversity if you have built capacity below, you will rise to the challenge and you will shine. May somebody shine in your day of adversity. Hallelujah. Jesus spent time. The only reason he was able to respond with it is written is because he had soaked the word into himself. Private preparation. The second dimension of pursuit is the purity 
of your pursuit. Sometimes you pursue something, but by the time you attain it, your hands are totally soiled and you can't even give a testimony because you know that in the, on your way to acquiring what you acquired, you doubled in and got involved in things that you cannot really say, this is the work of the Lord. It is not just about the vision, the purpose, the pursuit of that purpose must have purity around it. Jesus faced a satanic temptation. He knew who Jesus would become. And so at the beginning of his ministry, Satan came out to test, to tempt him. And every temptation, every challenge comes on three clear pillars. And Satan knew the three areas that he could tempt Jesus or that every person could be tempted in on their way to glory. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. First John chapter 2 verse 16 details these three areas. Every temptation, everything that will try to pull you down from your quest to walk in the glory that is laid up for you will come in these three areas. Sensual, visual, and mental. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. First John 2, 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. Hallelujah. The temptation to turn stones to bread was speaking to the flesh. Showing him the kingdoms of this world and asking him to bow down and receive them was about the last of the eye. And then sending him to a high point and telling him, jump down and show your power spoke to the pride of life. The reason Jesus went on to become great was that he preserved the purity of his pursuit. What has God called you to do? What is it that you are pursuing? Friends, a source of compromise will come your way. Somebody will come with an alternative way to achieve the same thing. And it always comes packaged very nicely. You know God has called you. You know your mission in life. You know that the, the project you are handling is a game changer in your life. Just before the glory comes, somebody will come with a shortcut. Why bother to do it this way? You can cut everything short and get it this way. And shortcuts often look very appealing, very tempting, and very attractive. But may the Lord open your eyes. Not just open your eyes, but grant you the strength and the boldness, the conviction to turn your back on every shortcut. Hallelujah. Jesus kept saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. Anytime a source of compromise or temptation comes against your mission in life, your biggest weapon is God's word. Church, arm yourself with God's word. 
study God's word. Soak in God's word and respond with God's word. When a foam is soaked in oil, when it's squeezed, oil will come out. If it is soaked with soapy water, when it is squeezed, soapy water will come out. If you have armed yourself with God's word, any challenge that squeezes you, what will come out? It is written. It is written. It is written. May the word of God be on your lips. And may the appropriate word come up to confront any situation that tries to derail you from the pursuit of your purpose. So Jesus knew his purpose and then also pursued that purpose. The third thing we see about Jesus was the payment of the price. Every purpose has a price to it. There is a check you must sign and a price you must pay to walk into your glory. How many of us know that God has some glory laid up for us? How many of us know? Tell somebody, pull out your checkbook and sign the check. Hallelujah. Have you ever heard the phrase, no pain, no gain. No cross, no crown. What does it mean? That for everything that God has called you to do that will bring you glory, there must be a price that must be paid. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24, there is one word that stands out in that whole verse for me. 1 Peter 2 24 says, Who himself, who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we haven't died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed I love the part that says himself it was not by compulsion it was not forced on him he himself Jesus himself gave up his life for us He made a conscious decision. And that is why he could refer to his suffering as his glory. Imagine somebody about to go through suffering and says, there comes my glory. I mean, look at your life. What is the greatest suffering that you have been through? Imagine it. The worst experience you may have had in your life. For some of us, the worst experience is a warning letter at work. That's the worst. For some of us, somebody lied about you or betrayed you. Or somebody saw you and didn't greet you. Somebody borrowed your money and didn't pay. Some of us have experienced pain and betrayal at different levels. You lost a loved one. The Bible says that just before his greatest pain, Jesus said, now is the hour for me to be glorified. How do you equate pain and glory? How do you equate suffering and honor? How do you describe your greatest pain as your greatest glory? In John chapter 12, 
we see Jesus describing his impending suffering. John 12, 23 says, But Jesus answered them saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly I say to you, verse 24 is worthy of noting, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Let me pause. For many of us, we are at the grain stage. There is a seed of greatness in your life. And what is left is for that seed to be planted. And when it is planted, it will die for a season. I recall living in a village for a while and going to plant corn and waiting for the corn to come up. And they said, no, it doesn't happen like that. Give it three days. The third day, early in the morning, I woke up and went to stood there waiting for the corn to come out. And when I didn't see it, I began to dig to see whether the grain had died. But guess what? It was coming up. It was just impatience. Unless the corn of wheat fall to the ground and dies, it abides alone. There is something God has put in your life. And there will be moments in your life where you put that thing on the altar and you ask yourself, will it work? Will this dream come true? Will this vision materialize? Those are the seasons of darkness and uncertainty. Will this work? Bible says at that point, until it gets to that point, your grain will abide alone. But when it dies, it bears forth much fruit. Verse 25. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Please note verse 27. It says, now my soul is troubled. And what can I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose came I to this hour. Verse 28. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. May the glory of God be revealed in somebody's life. May somebody who has sowed your corn and sowed your grain and invested in your purpose and the seed has died and you are waiting for it to germinate and wondering whether it will germinate. May that seed begin to sprout. And may the voice of God affirm your purpose. Hallelujah. Jesus said, my soul is troubled. It's not that I am excited about the pain. I know it will be painful. But can I really say, God, deliver me from this? No, because this is why I was born. The reason why not everyone can be great is because not everyone can pay the price. The price of greatness. 
the price of achievement, the price of accomplishment is often available. We know what we should do, but the price is high. But may God strengthen you to pay the price and experience his glory in your life. Somebody has a seed of greatness in this place. Somebody is called to be a world changer. Somebody working in your locality and unknown by anybody is being prepared by God to bring about a change. But you must have the courage to go through the pain that precedes the glory. What pain did Jesus encounter? The pain of rejection. Rejected by his own. The pain of betrayal. Betrayed by his own. The pain of denial. Denied by his own. The pain of torture. And the pain of death. And the Bible says, after bearing all that pain, Jesus experienced the glory. Tell somebody, glory is coming. Tell the person next to you, glory is coming. When you pay the full price of your purpose, you will experience the glory. Jesus paid the full amount. He signed the check for our salvation with his blood. Jesus' check cannot bounce because he has lodged the full amount in the bank. Whatever claim you are making on the death and resurrection of Christ, make it with boldness because it will not bounce. He paid the debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. But now I can sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Lord Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. Tell somebody he paid the price. The fourth and final point on Jesus' journey to greatness is the price. The price is the final pillar, the ultimate glory, that which we all look up to and desire. Earlier on, we read John 12, 28, and he said, Father, glorify yourself. And the voice from heaven said, I have glorified my name already, and I will glorify it again. When you find God's purpose for your life, and pursue it with all your heart, and fully pay the price, there is only one end. May the glory of God be revealed in somebody's life. Hallelujah. Jesus experienced the voice of approval, and the voice of endorsement from heaven. At his baptism, the voice came. At the Mount of Transfiguration, the voice came. Even preceding his death, when he predicted it in John chapter 12, the voice came again, affirming him. Now looking at the ministry of Jesus, his purpose, the pursuit, the price he paid, and the glory what manner of people should we be? How do we partake in everything that we are describing? If we say, as he is, so are we in this world, how do we also travel our journey to the glory that is ahead of us? 
Let's read our final scripture from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Seeking the glory that lies ahead of us. Every one of us has a seed of greatness inside us. And in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the Bible gives everyone an idea about how you can reach forth for that glory. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God that is how we ought to live look to Jesus tell somebody look to Jesus tell the person run with endurance and look to Jesus. Running with endurance means that no matter the discouragement, no matter the obstacles, keep running. There would always be an excuse to stop running. There would always be an explanation why you should slow down. Bible says run with endurance. And as you run, look to Jesus. Whatever challenge, whatever cross, whatever difficulty, endure it and despise the shame. What does it mean to despise the shame? If you ever visited Israel and saw the mountain on which Jesus was crucified and imagined the experience of people passing and asking, what happened? Who is that? It was a shameful experience. And so when the Bible says, despise the shame, it means that for every one of us, in pursuing your mission or purpose in life, there will be moments of shame. Moments when you have not reached where you should be and you look like you are hanging in there. Moments when people would ask, are you sure about yourself? Bible says, he endured the cross and despise the shame. I came to encourage somebody this morning. You may be at that point, that season in your life, when it looks like there is shame around you because your seed has not just sprouted or germinated, but you know the seed of your greatness has been planted. It's only a season. I said it is only a season. As the rain of God falls on your seed, your seed will sprout and the purpose of God will be accomplished in your life. May somebody be encouraged in your purpose. May somebody be encouraged in your mission. May somebody be encouraged that what you are pursuing, it is worth it. Don't turn aside. Stay the course and finish the race. Hallelujah. What do these four world changes we have described have in common? Can we go back and look at the four and say there is something all four of them did so that we can say that if that is what they did, then if I do the same, I would also be a world changer. I've taken the liberty of putting up all four 
all four pillars in the lives of the four world changes. And so what we call purpose in Jesus' life, we called sanctification or separation in Paul's life. We called it potential or the dream in Joseph's life. We called it the mission in the life of John the Baptist. What we call pursuit, we called progress in Paul's life. We called service in Joseph's life. We called self-denial in the life of John the Baptist. What we call the price Jesus paid, we called the resistance in the life of Paul. We called adversity in the life of Joseph. And we called uncertainty in the life of John the Baptist. What we call the price or the ultimate glory, we called it transformation when we studied Paul. When we looked at Joseph, we called it the breakthrough, the breakthrough in the life of Joseph. And in the life of John the Baptist, we called it his conviction, that unwavering belief that his life was going somewhere. Anchored on these four world changes and these four commonalities, we can conclude that anyone who wants to change the world must have a clear purpose, must pursue that purpose, must pay the price, the painful price, and then will ultimately experience the glory or the prize. You can create a faith column and put your name there and write purpose, pursuit, prize, and prize. May God reveal your purpose to you. Everyone has a unique purpose. May God reveal to you exactly why he placed you on this earth. May he grant you the courage and the boldness to pursue that purpose without wavering. May he give you the fortitude to pay the price without compromise. And above all, may the glory, the price that is set ahead of you, be realized in your life in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. This morning, we want to make a confession or an affirmation of our lives as world changes. Jesus said, I am and offended the Pharisees. This morning, we will offend the principalities and powers by declaring that we are. Are you ready? Rise to your feet, everybody. Put your hand on your chest and say, I am a world changer. Declare that I will possess the gates of nations. Say, my life will make a difference. Resources will converge around me. I am unstoppable. I shall not be hindered. God has anointed me. Strongholds will fall before me. I will see the invisible. I will do the impossible. Shame and disgrace, they shall be far from me. I will plant seeds of greatness and they shall flourish. I will bear fruit in my old age. The north will favor me. The south will favor me. The east will favor me. And the west will favor me. Ghana will not be the same because of me. Africa will experience a turnaround 
because of me. The world will celebrate 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 me. Why? Because as he is, so am I. So am I. So am I in this world. In Jesus' name. Why don't you celebrate the Lord this morning? Thank you for listening to Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast by Albert and Comfort Okran. Like our Facebook and Twitter pages at Albert and E. Okran and Comfort Okran A for free resources and information about our itinerary, conferences, and media broadcast. For speaking appointments, email albert.okran at icloud.com or SMS or WhatsApp us on plus two three three two four nine 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 nine. Zero zero zero. You may also subscribe to www.albertokran.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite online bookstore for copies of our inspirational books and audiovisual materials. Until we come your way again, always remember you are blessed indeed. No more searching. The light. The light has come.